Y'all ready for the word this morning? I'm excited about this. If you would, please stand to your feet. Let's read the word together. I always like to honor the Lord, his word, by standing as we read. I'm excited about this word today. I'm on assignment to do one thing, and that's to bring hope to your spirit today. Amen. Psalm 30. Many of you know this scripture, probably quote it to me. Uh, But we're going to read it and see if God won't drop some things on us today. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave you have kept me alive man that's a testimony i have i should be dead today but god was at work in my life that i should not go down to the pit i like this sing praise to the lord you saints of his and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name can you remember god going to work in your life when i look back over my life i can find many reasons to give god praise So sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. And here's our focus this morning, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a life. Here we go. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy. Somebody say, but joy comes in the morning. And that will be our subject this morning. Joy comes in the morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We feel you in this room. I know that the people watching can feel them where they are. God, we love you. We ask you to do your work today. God, let your anointing that's here, that's evident, It's tangible. Go to work. Let it make a difference in somebody's life. God, I pray that your word would go forth like a hammer and break down strongholds. God, that your anointing would break the yoke off somebody's life. If somebody came in here trouble-minded, God, you'd give them peace today. God, whatever adversity, troubles, burdens, heaviness, whatever we walked in here with today, we pray that as we walk out, we can walk with a head lifted high, knowing that you are Lord of our lives and you have everything under control. God, we pray that as the word go forth, they go forth like a seed planted in the hearts and spirits of men, God, that it would bring forth fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. And we're careful to give you all the glory and honor and praise. And we just ask you to do your work today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you do me one more favor and put your hands together and give God one more praise as you're seated? Joy comes in the morning. I read a quote this week from Sigmund Freud, and I wanted to start this message today with this statement. This is one of Sigmund Freud's statements. He says, one day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. I'm going to say that again. One day, in retrospect, 
the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. The attraction of any great story, the intrigue of your favorite movie or book or whatever the case may be, the attraction of it is the fact that somewhere embedded in that story or in that movie was adversity or an impossible situation that somehow by the end of the story, the subject or the hero or the the main character was able to overcome. Whether it's a movie, a love story, and two people are far apart and they somehow find their way back together. We're riveted by the fact that they were able to overcome. Or maybe it's a war story and somebody gets this, this platoon, loses almost all their guys and there's just a couple left and they're cornered. And they overcome insurmountable odds to survive, and to win the battle. Those are our favorite stories, aren't they? And that's what makes a great story, is in fact the adversity that's in the middle of the story. Amen. Isn't that the gospel message? Isn't that the good news that we carry as saints of God? That like Romans 5 and verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he came down to this earth, God, the, the, the everlasting God. He's bigger than everything. He created everything, and somehow he formed himself down into flesh and bone and became a living being, a human being. He relegated himself to a human. He came down. It was impossible And then he does another impossible feat, and he lives his life without blemish. He lives his life perfectly, and the Bible tells us that there was no temptation known to man that he did not himself face, but Jesus in himself was able to overcome every temptation, live a perfect life until it was time to lay his life down, and he did it so that our impossibility could be made possible. That is The gospel story, that is the gospel story. That is what gives hope to the believer is knowing that no matter what we're going through, God is able. I said God is able to bring us through, to bring us through. I would say that it would be an accurate statement to say that our nation and culture right now are facing some adversity. Right? And, you know, those are bigger signs that there are things happen supernaturally, right? What's happening in the natural is always a sign of the supernatural. And don't worry, I didn't come to talk to you about that today. I came to talk to you about whatever you may be facing or whatever you might be dealing with or whatever weeping may have taken up residence in your life. That's what I came to talk to you about today. But I think it's important to note the fact that we are collectively in a moment of adversity. Amen. Pastor Rick said it like this last week, that history has taught us, history has taught us that all reformation starts in chaos. I'll say that again. All reformation starts in chaos. The law first mentioned would tell us this. The law first mentioned is that is simply this. I'll help those who don't know what that is. The law first mentioned is when something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, that has a principle attached to the subject of whatever it's talking about. Here's an example. 
in Genesis, God opens the, in, the, the, the book of history with this line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and they were formless, and they were void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. It's a picture of darkness and chaos, and that is where God chose to begin all of creation. Isn't that powerful? And out of that one word, he spoke light. And that one word created order and brought order to a chaotic situation. In other words, reformation or formation came up out of that chaos. And it was interesting because, yes, he did say light. And, yes, it did bring order. And, yes, it was the first day. However, he wasn't finished with that one word. In fact, he went on to take seven days to create what we know and what we abide in today here on earth. And don't you know that that's kind of the way it happens? God doesn't do things in the blink of an eye. Sometimes it takes a little longer than we think it takes to become everything that he intends for it to become. Sometimes the chaos is brought into order, sure, but there is a progression expected and there is a progression to it. Y'all ain't hearing me preach this morning. Even today, we're living in the progression of that simple creation, of that simple creation. History tells us the Reformation starts in chaos. So here's something that's important to note, something that's important to note. When God allows adversity or tribulation into your life, he does not do that for the purpose of creating depression, anxiety, despondency, discouragement he does not send it your way for that reason God allows heaviness or burden seasons to come into our life or adversity and trouble to come into our life to produce something that is significant and positive in its result that is the purpose for which he does it pastor Rick talks about the idea or the philosophy of Felix Coppola, which says this, God allowed evil to exist so that it would bring about a positive result rather than to not let evil exist at all. God allows these things to happen so that he can shift something or create change. Let me make it real simple. Something needs to change. I'm going to say it again. Something needs to change. And the only way it can change is if I send trouble their way. If God allowed this thing to just be some utopian, uh, 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 positive, uh, you know, place that we exist, we would wake up every morning with the expectation, today's going to be a great day and everything I want is coming my way. And the reality is that's not the case, is it? Some days we do wake up with that confidence, knowing that the Lord is on our side and he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. But by the time we lay our head down on the pillow, we're asking God, where are you right now? Isn't that the reality? We wake up with confidence that I'm going to produce so much today in my life, in my job, in my family, in my relationships. And by the time we lay down at night, we can't believe the loss that we experienced. And we're wondering, what happened today? What happened today? That's the reality of this life that we live. That's the reality of the life 
that we walk, but in order for there to be change, sometimes, somebody sometimes, sometimes God sends trouble to make that change happen. In the midst of all we're facing, I, I, I believe we are in need of change. We are in need of change. I know personally, personally, I need to see some change in my life. I need to see some change in my life in a lot of different areas, and I won't go through them, but the, 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 the purpose of me stating that is that that's where ultimate change happens is when one person decides that I need to change. And it becomes a ripple effect. And once I change on my own and, and you change on your own and you change on your own and then a little while later Joe begins to change and then Alan begins to change and then, and then John begins to change and Elder Pat begins to change, and Emily changes, and Maverick changes, and before you know it, this whole room has experienced a reformation because we decided that we needed change ourselves, ourselves. So let me encourage you this morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, but joy comes in the morning. I'll talk to you about three, three distinct things concerning this passage of scripture the first I want to point out is the contrast here the contrast in our text uh, he starts by saying the anger of the Lord lasts but for a moment favor but his favor lasts a lifetime weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning so there's some contrast here. First he starts with anger, and then he gives us favor. Contrast. First he, then he gives us a moment versus a lifetime. Then he gives us weeping versus joy. And finally, he gives us a night versus a morning. And that's the way... God works. He sends contrast so that we can have an, an, an appreciation for the things that he gives us. There is contrast. There is contrast. So let's start with the first one. First of all, we have to understand one thing in particular. And I think it's important to note this, that God does, in fact, get angry. <laughs> I know from personal experience that I've ticked the Lord off quite a few times. God does, in fact, get angry, but I think we need to understand that though he may get angry, he is not an angry God. He, no matter what they've taught you, God is not looking for a reason to send you to hell. No matter what they've said to you, you are not under judgment of the Lord. His mercy endures forever. God is not an angry God. He doesn't hold grudges. He's not like me and you. He's not trying to pay us back. Oh, you did that. Now I'm going to get you. And track us down until we are, feel like we're the scum of the earth. And then finally, oh, okay, now you realize who you are. Now I'll let you back up again. God's not that way. And I think it's important that we erase that notion, that mentality, because so many times we rest, we sit, we relish in guilt and in shame because we feel like what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought, how we've acted, where we've gone is so much that God is displeased with us. And maybe, in fact, he did get mad at you, but you know what? His anger lasts 
but a moment. And that's an encouraging fact to know that God is not an angry God looking to pay you back. So you might offend me and I might have to track you down and we may have to have words and squabble a little bit because I'm offended by you. But I thank God that God is nothing like me. God is not like us. God is not like us. His anger only lasts but a moment, but a moment. You know, the word weeping here, weeping may endure for a night. Weeping literally means to drip or to drain. It implies this notion of a thing that, that, that drains your life. Weeping endures for a night. Weeping, that draining, I don't know about you, but when I even look at Facebook, it drains me. When I turn on the news, it drains me. When I listen to the radio, it's draining me. Even some of my conversation with my friends is draining me. And the word endures here is an interesting word because it means to take up residence or to lodge. To take up residence or to lodge. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you felt like the thing you were dealing with was there to stay? Like you didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel that this thing came in and it sat down and now I'm making it breakfast and lunch and dinner and making its bed. Have you ever felt like it's something has come in? That's how I kind of feel about the way things are right now nationally. I felt like things came in here and they took up residence. They sat down totally unexpected. It was an uninvited visitor. It sat down and now this thing is living here and we don't know how to evict this thing up out of our life. Weeping may endure for a night. Night literally means the twist or twisting away of light. It's, it's a picture of this darkness that's trying to black out every light possible. You know, it's interesting, the word night, side note, you guys can take this and study it another time, that when God created the earth, he didn't include night in the ingredients of a day. How so, Josh? Simple. Every day, he said, and there was morning, I mean, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Evening and night are two different things. Evening is part of a day. Evening has a lesser light that governs a day. Morning has a greater light that governs it, and that is a day. Night is the contrast of day. Night is trying to squeeze out every bit of light that day has. Weeping endures for a night. Weeping endures for a night it's draining when I watch my TV I'm drained when I have a conversation at work I'm drained when I talk to my friends I'm drained when I scroll on Facebook I'm drained when I swipe on Instagram I'm drained this thing will not leave this thing will not leave and so as I was reading this I had to ask myself the question why would David write this? Why would he write this? Why would he create this contrast? David was obviously a poet, right? Because he wrote a ton of psalms. He was obviously real artsy. And so maybe he was just trying to be artsy. And throw some contrast in there. But I had to wonder, why would he write something like this? You know what I got to thinking about? is that 
It's not that I don't believe that joy won't come in the morning. Because that's what the word of God says, right? Joy comes in the morning. It's not that I don't believe that. I just, uh, I just want to ask David. David, when you wrote this, I, I can't imagine that you even had it close to in mind what we're facing today. Because if you knew what we were going through right now, I sincerely doubt you would write, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It would probably go a little more like this. Weeping may endure for a night, and then stick around a little bit. <laughs> right? And then just maybe stay a little longer. And then maybe, but maybe not. Joy might come around. But the reality is weeping will endure for a night. And so I was challenged with that thought. And I had to ask, why would David write that? Because I was convicted this week as I really sought the Lord about what I was to bring to today. I knew I would be speaking this morning, and, and God wouldn't let me let go of that verse of Scripture. And I was challenged with it because of the way I felt, right? And because of the way I saw some stuff. And so I was challenged, why would David write that, and how is that relevant now? So we talked about contrast, right? Now I want to talk about the context of this verse of Scripture, Okay. So I asked the Lord, and I started studying. I wanted to know why David wrote this song. So here's, here's what I found out. When David wrote this song, he wrote it at the dedication of the temple. More specifically, he wrote this song at the dedication of the, sac of the altar of sacrifice at Ornan's threshing floor. Some of you know what Ornan's threshing floor is, and for those of you who don't, I'll talk about that in just a minute. So he writes this psalm at the dedication of Ornan's threshing floor. So if you want to go home and study this, for those of you at home that want to read on this story, go to 1 Chronicles 21, read the whole chapter. Or you can go to 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 24, and you can read that whole chapter. 2 Samuel gives Ornan a different name, but they're the same guy. promise you that. Okay? So I go to this, and I want to know the context of what's going on. So I look at David, and David is at the, like he's on top of the mountain. He's ruling. He has victory everywhere he's gone. He's doing his thing. Right? And David, we know, was a man after God's own heart. So you know what David decides to do? David decides to take a census of the people of Israel. And this was not a good idea because it was against what God had established for the people of God. He, was to take, he wanted to take a census of the people. Now, the reason logically that you would take a census is for two reasons. Number one, the reason why you would take a census is so that you, it was a preliminary act to, uh, 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 to doing a soldier draft or to increase your army, right? So that's the first reason. And then the second reason is because you wanted to levy more taxes, right? 
You want to levy more taxes. In other words, you want to increase the power or the influence that you have as a nation. And the reason this was an issue is because the nation of Israel was supposed to be one that only relied on God. They didn't need any numbers to establish their greatness as a people. Because they were ruled under the kingship of God the Father. And he was their Lord. And he was the one that governed them. And they didn't have any need to count anything because they always had God on their side. It was even David who ran out into a field when all of Israel was afraid. And he ran out there with a sling and a rock because he knew that the Lord was behind him. He knew that the Lord was with him. And yet in this moment, He's already become king, and he's already reigned, and he's already done so many things. And he just wants, maybe it's an act of pride here. He just wants to see how big and tough he is. He wants to cry it out to the nations. I don't know what the case is behind why David did this, but regardless, it made God mad. It made him mad. Even Joab, uh, 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 David's right-hand man, comes to him and says, David, we don't need to do this. This is totally against what we're supposed to be doing. But I'm gonna, and David says, no, you just do what I tell you to do. And like a good soldier, Joab went, he did it. He counted him, came back with the report. Well, right on Joab's heels is Gad. Gad is a prophet to David. I want to stop right there. You know, one of the great lessons we can learn from the life of David is that no matter where he was in life, what he did in life, or what he was facing, He always had a man of God to bring him the word. And every time that man of God brought him the word of the Lord, he responded to it. And he received it. It will do a lot of us some good to remember that we need a man of God in our life. That is dedicated to hearing from the Lord for our lives. So David has Gad and Gad walks in. And he says, David, you've sinned against the Lord. And here's what he's told me. He's going to punish the nation because of your sin. And he says, but God has given you a choice here. Here's the choice. You get to choose your punishment. Your parents ever do that to you when you were young? You want the belt? You want the switch? Or go out and pick the switch? (laughs) It's never a good pick. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But he gives him the choice of punishment. He says, okay, the first, first option is we can, we can uh, have a famine in the land for three years. Second option is for a season or a duration of time, you can be chased and cut down by the sword of your enemies. And all the people will have to experience that. And the last option is this. I can send a pestilence to the nation for three days. Your choice. David responds like any of us would. That's terrible. No, none of them are a good choice. What kind of choice is that? And David says, okay, well, here's the deal. If I have to make a choice, here's my choice. I'm not going to allow the people of God to be subject to the sword of our enemies, but rather the hand of God. So I'll put them in the hand of God, and I will allow, I'll ask for the punishment of three days of this pestilence to come. What an option. So it hit. And from morning to supper time on that first day, 70,000 Israelites die. Woo! Can you imagine? I guess we can, right? 70,000 
Israelites die. And David, is I can see him. He's pacing in his inner chambers. And he's just nervous, shaking, rattled with anxiety and heaviness and burden. My people are dying. And it's my fault. I did this. It was my pride. It was what I did. So he does the only thing he knows to do, which is something. Because he's not going to sit back and just allow it or just live through it. He's going to do something. So he gets his men and he starts to ride and he approaches Ornan's threshing floor. And Ornan and his sons and his men are out there and they're threshing wheat. They're threshing wheat on the threshing floor. And as he approaches, they look in the sky and they see the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. And he's headed to Jerusalem. The biggest city hadn't even been hit by this pestilence yet. And 70,000 had died. And David and his men are sore afraid and his men want to hide. And David does what David always does. He cries for mercy from the Lord. He says, God, have mercy on these sheep. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. And this is my fault. So punish me and my family and save the sheep. But please have mercy. And so God slows the angel down. And in that moment, David looks at Ornan and he says, Ornan, I need you to give me this place because I need to make a sacrifice here. And Ornan, like a good man, a good countryman, looks at David and says, you can have it, do it, whatever we need to do. You can have the, the threshing floor. You can have my oxen for the sacrifice. You can have my tools to build the fire. You can have my sons to help you. It can be yours, free. And David says, no, 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 no. You got to understand something. I'll pay full price for this. Because the sacrifice has to cost me something. This sacrifice has to cost me something. You see, I think David knew a secret. Because that wasn't just any place. That was the exact place that Abraham took Isaac. When God called him to sacrifice his son. And maybe he knew that if I can get to that spot and offer something that hurts, offer something that costs me something, maybe God will put a ram in the bush for me too. Mm. So he pays market price for the, for the threshing floor. It costs him something. And he sacrifices there. As it turns out, side note, that's ultimately where Solomon builds the temple. If you went to Israel today, the, the Muslim gold dome sits on that exact spot. And archaeologists believe that the foundation of that building itself still has stones from Ornan's threshing floor. Isn't that incredible? So David makes this sacrifice, and when he does, right after that, God says, cut the pestilence short. Don't do nothing else. And he saves the rest of Israel. And it's over. And because of it, David then consequently moves the temple from where it was to right there. Because he says, 
something needs to shift in God's house. Something needs to shift in the church. And I couldn't help but think of Jesus when David did this. Why? Because I remember the story of when Jesus walks into the temple. He's in Jerusalem. He's in this exact spot. Isaiah, he's standing on the threshing floor. Can you believe this? And there's tables and merchants. And they're selling the sacrifice. And David gets in there and he just starts, I mean, Jesus, he gets in there and he starts flipping tables. And they said he was whipping people. He was going nuts in the house of God, turning things over. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. You know what the word robbers means? Freeloaders. Freeloaders. What was happening is these merchants in the temple were selling doves. That's what the Bible says. They were selling doves so that the people of God could come there, buy a dove, make a sacrifice, go home. What did I just say? They were making worship convenient for the people. They were making it as convenient as it could be for the people of God. In other words, it doesn't have to be as messy. You don't have to do all that to worship the Lord. You don't have to go get your best oxen and walk him all the way to the temple. Or you don't have to get your grain and pile it up and put it on a wagon and bring it all the way here. You can just come here and buy a worship, give it to me, and that's that. They were making it convenient. How messy do you think it was when they would sacrifice an oxen? And they would do it for family after family after family. Can you imagine the mess in that temple from the sacrifices of these people? And they decided, let's clean it up. Let's make it a little more user-friendly. Let's make it a little more comfortable in the sanctuary. Let's get some better lights and cameras and screens and smoke. And let's put on head mics and talk softly and just encourage the people and make it a little more convenient so they can just come to church and go home. But their worship doesn't have to cost them anything. My God in here. Nobody's hearing me preach this word up in this building right now. At home, I hope you're hearing me because I'm preaching a word right now. And so Jesus shifts the church just like David shifts the church, just like kind of right now is shifting the church. It costs us a little more than it used to to come and have some church, doesn't it? The conveniences started to kind of slide away. Maybe God needed to press pause for a minute so some things could change. David must have understood something that we didn't see because he went to the place where a sacrifice was made and it changed things. So David, as he's writing this psalm, Psalm 30, he establishes contrast because it's important that we understand the difference. It's hard to understand joy when you ain't wept. 
It's hard to understand freedom if you ain't ever been under oppression. It's hard to understand healing and the joy of being healed if you ain't never been sick. So it's important to know contrast, and it's really important to understand context. It's a lot bigger than just what you may face every single day. Things are a lot bigger than that. Things are a lot bigger than that, and they mean a little bit more than the face value. And then finally, finally, I want to talk about the choice here. So David writes this scripture, weeping may endure for a night. And so, like I said, I asked the question, why would David write that? Because he could have never understood what we were going through. As it turns out, he understood exactly what we were going through. And so it hit me. It's right there in the verse. It's one little word. Weeping may. It may or it may not. Weeping may endure for a night. You know what the word joy means? Overcome or to overcome. Look it up. You do the research yourself. The root word for the word joy in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, almost everywhere you find it, it literally means to shout for victory or to overcome. You know, there's a distinct difference between happiness and joy. Happiness literally comes from the word happen. So something has to happen to be happy. Right? Joy doesn't work like that. Joy isn't about being happy. Sometimes it includes that, but that's not what joy is, right? There's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy has to do with a victory. Joy has to do with an overcoming. Are you with me? So joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know what the common denominator of all of God's great men and women were? That no matter what they were facing or what they were going through, they did something. I said it earlier. They did something. They didn't just sit there waiting for God to do something for them. And that's what happens. Weeping does endure for a night when you're just sitting there waiting for God to show up in your life and change it. That's, what ha that's why it gets darker and darker and bleaker and bleaker. And we get deeper into depression and anxiety makes us crazy because we do not do anything about it it's like what job said job said though he slay me yet will i trust him i don't care if he doesn't do it he may but he may not and this weeping may endure for a night but it may not either Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're faced with a choice, kneel or not. So they, 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 they're standing in front of this tyrannical, crazy leader that is killing people that won't worship him. And so what happens is they don't bow. And he says, well, look, I'm going to throw you in that fiery furnace. You're going to die. And they say, well, we might. Or we might not. But we're not going to do that. We're going to do something we're going to stand right here. And it's about time that God's people woke up and started to do something about it. 
Stop complaining and commenting and posting and doing all kind of crazy things because you think that's going to change it. How about look internally and fix whatever's in here and watch that change do something in you. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night or it may not. But you have that choice. You have that choice. Here's what I love about God. He's so funny. If you go to 1 Chronicles 21 or 2 Samuel 24, you'll see in both cases. In Chronicles, it tells us that God allowed Satan to tempt David to do the census. In other words, God wanted to get mad at him. <laughs> in Samuel... It says that God incited David himself to cause David to do the census. In other words, God intended for it to get the result. The people of God had to shift and change. So God sent it. He meant it. He needed his man to mess up. Oh. He needed the man of God to mess up to change the mentality of the whole nation. Woo! Be careful when you see your brother fall. God meant it. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, Nehemiah tells us like this. Nehemiah tells us like this, that it's the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. I think it's interesting that David does pen this, that it's his favor that lasts a lifetime. God gets mad, but the one thing I got working for me is he still has favor on me. He still loves me no matter what. His mercy endureth forever. So he might be mad, but I know he's going to get over it in a minute if I just do something about it. Right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know what the power of joy is? power of joy is this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Is that it's the joy of the Lord. It's his. It's not ours. So here's the key. All hell could be breaking loose and we can still have it. All hell can be breaking loose in our life and we can still have it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And that joy becomes embedded in our nature. That overcoming, that overcoming characteristic that belongs to God becomes part of our nature through experiences. It can't just be set in our doctrine. It can't just be set in our belief system. It has to be established through experiences. When you go through these experiences and you overcome, you have something to look back on and say, you know what? God pulled me out of that mess. He can pull me out of this mess too. So I don't have to sit here and wallow in my mess. And then that becomes an identifying marker for you. And that becomes the experience that you draw from. Like Enoch, he walked with the Lord. That was his experience. He walked with God. So nobody could take that from him. So no matter what he faced, he knew that God was walking with him. And Mary, Mary, she found herself at Jesus' feet because she was a worshiper. And that was his, her experience. And every time she wanted to worship, God would accept her or Jesus would accept her. And so that was her experience. And that was 
was the hope that she could draw from. For John, he laid his head on Jesus' bosom. He knew that God would embrace him every time he came. For David, it was he was a man after God's own heart. So everywhere he went, he saw victory. Hey, you know what I know? For me, it was everything that I've been through in my life. God brought me out of it. I shouldn't be here right now. But it's an experience I can draw from. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's his overcoming victory that resides in my life and gives me the victory everywhere I go. So I don't care what the devil may throw at me or what I might do. I know I'm going to have the victory when this thing is all said and done. So I don't care. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how frustrating people can be. I don't care what I see posted or what the news says. I really, really, really don't care because here's what I know. Joy comes in the morning. There's a fresh outlook. There's a fresh light. There's a new beginning that comes my way when I make a decision to do something about it. See, I don't have to sit in this weeping any longer. Weeping may endure for a night, but it don't have to. But it don't have to. It don't have to. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. When you face trials and temptations of all kinds, that's James talking to the church. Consider it joy when you face that stuff. Consider it an overcoming moment when you face that stuff. Consider an opportunity I get to whip you to and just add you to be another notch on my belt today because I'm an overcomer. Consider it pure joy. When you face trials and temptations, Proverbs tells us like this, that the prospect of the righteous, righteous are the people of God, the prospect or the gold that they are prospecting is joy, is joy. And the hope of the wicked comes to nothing when the prospect of the righteous is joy. Isn't that powerful? That means all the plans that the enemy may have against you ain't coming to pass because you got joy up in you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And here's my favorite. Fixing my eyes on Jesus. Fixing my eyes on Jesus. The author. The finisher. The perfecter of my faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and listen and he sat down at the right hand of the father and that's where he is today making intercession for us in the presence of the lord there is fullness of joy there is fullness of joy whatever you're going through right now whatever's happening in your life whatever depression you might be facing whatever anxiety that torments you Whatever relational issue you might have, whatever trouble, whatever tribulation, whatever temptation, know this, it's producing joy in you. When the people of God will turn and see that all this is going to produce something 
beautifully miraculous for the kingdom of God. It's a question to God's people. What will you choose? What will you choose? Will you allow the weeping, the draining, the dripping, the depression to just live up in your life? Will you let that happen? Or are you willing to do something? Just something to make a change. I'm thankful today because no matter what you're going through, God is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll hold your hand through it all. I like what David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are right there with me. And there's coming a time when I'm going to get to the other side of this valley, and you're going to make a table for me right in the presence of all my enemies. And I'm going to sup and I'm going to feast. And I'm going to shout in victory because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a new beginning for you today. There's a new beginning for you today. If this message was for you, I just want you to lift your hands towards heaven. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain you may be facing, there's joy for you today. Be encouraged. God sees it. God knows it's there. He may have even sent it your way. Have faith in Him. Have trust in Him that He's going to make everything okay for you. Come on, saints. Let's stand to our feet. Begin to prophesy this song to your own life. Just prophesy this over your own life. God worship his presence comes in and it begins to minister this may not be for you but it may be for the person on your row just begin to worship for you at home right now some of you stayed home today just because you couldn't get up out of bed and you couldn't get up out of your living room and you didn't want to face the world today because you're just sick of everything that's happening not just in the world but in your life and depression has gripped you and you may be in your bedroom in the dark right now but right now there's a ray of hope coming through that screen and I want you to lift your hands and know that you can make it you can stand you can get through this you can overcome joy is coming your way in the name of Jesus I speak it to you now in Jesus name God is giving you strength for your weakness his strength is made perfect right there that's the place that it becomes perfect and whole i speak it over you in jesus name come on team prophesy that song 
somebody no matter what may come your way no matter what you're facing Somebody in this room was encouraged. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, when we dismiss in just a moment, there'll be somebody here. If you need prayer at home, we ask that you comment in the comments section so that we can pray with you as well. You know, I want to share this one last thought with you before you go. David knew something. He knew that if he sacrificed, that there was a pretty good chance something was going to change. In Psalm 27, he writes this, I will offer in his tabernacle a sacrifice of joy. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to make a sacrifice in his house because there's something I need to overcome. I want to encourage you today, each of you that are in this room, if you're watching online, you might need to consider making a sacrifice of joy today. It might be financial. It might be in some other area of your life. But there's some overcoming that needs to happen. And it has to cost you something. Or it's not really a sacrifice at all. And so I want to encourage you. Some of you in this room, you really might need to sow a seed. There might be something you've been withholding or you've been needing released in your life. And we're not saying you're going to get something because you give something. Sometimes when you make a sacrifice, it shows the Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I speak the blessing of the Lord over each and every one of you. We speak success to you and success to the kingdom and blessing over each and every one of you.